This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Mariner's Pod. Welcome back. Thanks for being here once again. We have a lot to get to in this one that I think you'll enjoy. The trade deadline has come and gone. We had a conversation with Assistant General Manager Justin Hollander. That will come up in just a few minutes. If you were listening to the broadcast last night, you would have heard me reference a conversation I had with Devin Fink from Fangraphs, who wrote a pretty interesting article that I think you'll enjoy. So I'm going to play, as I promised, on the broadcast yesterday. I would podcast this and put the conversation up with Devin Fink. And it involves Logan Gilbert specifically expected velocity, his giant wingspan, the whole thing. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation with Devin Fink. But let's get to it right away, the conversation after the deadline with Assistant General Manager Justin Hollander. We've got a special guest live here in the booth right now with us, Justin Hollander, Assistant GM for the Mariners, somebody who I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but <laughs> you look like heck, my friend, right now. <laughs> Dark circles under my eyes, scratchy voice. I got some makeup here. <laughs> you go, go borrow Blower's makeup. He, he's giving that away all the time. Uh, give us a picture of what the last 24 hours were like just to watch what was going on and, and, and the climate, the trade climate around baseball that just went to just light speed, it seemed like. Yeah, uh, I would say even the last 96 hours or so, um, it went from almost a, a really quiet, slow market to overdrive. Um, a lot of teams with a lot of activity, a lot of wild ideas and big suggestions. Um, I know that our system is very popular right now, based on the number of calls we got, uh, looking for the guys that are at the upper levels of our upper, upper levels of our prospect tiers right now. Um, we worked really hard. Everybody did in our group, Jerry, myself, Jesse Smith, our analytics director, Brendan Domaraki, our director of player personnel, along with, with Tim Stanton, our director of baseball operations, and Joel Smith, our, our director of analytics. There's, there's, we put, all put in a lot of hours, made a lot of phone calls. Uh, we used my whiteboard liberally, uh, <laughs> wrote a lot of ideas on the board, then erased them when somebody else told us they wouldn't do it, then wrote a new idea up on the board. So it's a, it's a fun time, but as you said, I, I do look like hell right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What the... Uh... Coming down to say the last hour, what was that last hour like? It actually, for us, I would say the last half hour, 45 minutes really slowed down. Uh, prior to that, we had a couple of different balls in the air that we thought we were going to make some progress on and maybe push to fruition. Uh, it just didn't happen. We, you know, For whatever reason, especially when you're talking about multi-team deals uh, or, or more significant player deals, uh, sometimes the momentum can die really quickly. You just get to a stopping point, either with us or with another team. Um, so it was busy all day, a little phone calls back and forth and trying to do things. I would say 
say the last 45 minutes or so, uh, it really slowed down, and we, we sort of realized there was nothing else to do that made a lot of sense for us. Uh, up until then, starting, you know, most of my mornings over the last week have started with East Coast teams with texts about 6 a.m. Um, so up out early and then working from 6 until, you know, you know midnight our time or so, just mm-hmm. trying to find ways to, to make the club better. How much do you think uh, the lack of a waiver deadline now changed the dynamic of this trade deadline? It's, it's really unique. It's interesting because we ha- we didn't have it last year, but we had the shortened season right. last year right. uh, and the expanded playoffs. So I think a decent amount. I think obviously teams were looking to, to add depth as much as they could. I think there was a frenzy realizing there is no tomorrow uh, to some degree uh, if you want to make moves. Uh, and it really does force you to make an earlier decision than almost all of us are accustomed to, uh, whether you're in or you're out. Um, I'm glad we were able to make our team better today, obviously, knowing that tomorrow there isn't really any way to make your team better other than in-house reinforcements. Were you disappointed at all that you couldn't make a deal? No. Um, I think, you know, making a bad deal is still making a bad deal, whether, you know, whether, you know, whether you want to or not. If you want to do things, you can do them. If they're bad, you're still making a bad deal, uh, and we just we weren't we weren't willing to do that. We weren't willing to make a deal that we didn't think made any sense from the moment you made it. You know the the idea of the winner's curse and and sort of trumping ourselves and getting way outside of our comfort zone um, in the last hour just to make ourselves feel like we did something today. You know we did things this week that I think really help our present and our future, and we're excited about those things. And sometimes if we had traded for Diego Castillo at eleven fifteen or eleven thirty today. Like, I don't know that that would have made us feel better. We got him yesterday. We're, we're super excited. He's one of the best closers in the league. Um, that's great. And the timing just worked out that it worked, that we did it yesterday instead of today. Jerry's been very upfront with the process and, and you know, on almost every step of the way, it, it seems. And coming into this, he, he stated what he wanted to do, what he wanted to get done. But he also stated what he wasn't willing to do. And a lot of that is, is he really didn't want to touch kind of the foundational pieces as far as prospects go. Does that sometimes get in the way? I know that different clubs, because people will look at a trade, oh, the Mariners had that. They could have gotten this player for that. But they might not have necessarily been talking to you about that player. Are there times when it comes in and they're like, you know, we want your number one and your number three, and you say no, and that's the end of conversation? Yeah, there was some of that this year, and I think, you know, that's it, it speaks to where we've come from, that somebody can say, oh, I'm not going to ask for your fifth best prospect. I'll ask you for your seventh best prospect. I'm getting somebody else's fifth best prospect. We think our fifth best prospect or our tenth best prospect is much better than the equivalent in most other systems right now. Um, obviously, we've we've made some trades in the past to accumulate more depth. We've drafted really well. We've done really well internationally. We've accumulated a lot of talent. Uh, we're not in a hurry to just trade it all off uh, if we don't think the value is right, if we don't think it really helps move our meter this year and in the future. Um, so, you know, we, we want to do things that are smart. We want to do things that help us now in the future. Um, and sometimes that can be a tricky balance. Uh, I think we did accomplish that this year. We were willing to make trades. I don't think we were willing to lose trades the moment we made them by you know, being over aggressive um, with strictly rentals. What was the most outrageous offer you had? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. Uh, I, I will tell you that the top five guys in our system are very popular, uh, and we got a lot of calls and always couldn't tell whether people were serious about what they were asking or they are just making a joke. So, But I'm not going to tell you that. that. That's a good enough answer. That's good enough. Yeah. Well, what attracted you to Abraham Toro? Um, he's somebody that we've liked for a long time. A couple of years we've been trying to get him. Um, he's 24 years old. Um, he, he's a switch hitter who plays the infield. 
He's got real tools. He can run. He can defend. He controls the strike zone. Uh, we think he has power, too. I feel better about saying that after he hit hom- <laughs> homers in four consecutive games, uh, sort of uh, straddling the time before we acquired him and the, t- or the two days after. Um, he's, he's a really good player. Uh, we think he's an everyday player, um, someone we've been trying to get for a while, uh, someone they've consistently said no to moving, um, and you know, I, someone who does a lot of things well uh, and can also play defense. He's not unlike a lot of the other guys we've acquired in this model, the Mitch Hanigers and the Ty Francis, the guys who may be blocked. It's, it's pretty tough infield to crack in Houston when it's Altuve, Correa, and Bregman, uh, are kind of the guy, and, and Jordan Alvarez and Guriel are playing the spots you could possibly play. Uh, if you even look at what he's done this year, he's he's something like a 15 to 20 percent above average offensive player just in the major leagues this year. Um, he's been almost worth a win above replacement and 125, 130 plate appearances, whatever it is right now. He's got a chance to be a really good player um, and to add him now makes our team better today. How did Castillo come across the radar? Um, he, again, someone that we've talked about for a while. Um, we like really good relievers. Uh, that's, 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 that's somebody that, you know, can make an impact. Obviously, we've seen him a lot over the years. Um, I think particularly appealing to us is the, the flexible nature in which Tampa Bay has employed him. Um, he's comfortable pitching in the seventh inning and getting the biggest out in the game in the seventh inning. He's also comfortable pitching the ninth inning when everybody is standing and clapping and cheering. And there's sort of a little extra that comes with being a closer. Um, he's been one of the best relievers in the league, uh, really since the time he broke in the big leagues. His stuff is outrageous. Um, we did our background on him. He's, you know, all all things we're told is he's a great human being who's beloved by his teammates. On top of it, um, so obviously that counts for us. Um, just a lot of things that are appealing, and, and for him to be a Mariner both this year and, and going forward for several years, uh, I think it was it was a no brainer for us. Um, even with the the addition of Shaggy and Shenton going the other way, and the, those are hard things to do. Obviously, Shagwaz pitched really well for us, and we love Shenton. But to the point of the earlier conversation, if you want to get, you have to give. And there was, you know, there was no way we didn't feel like we, we could say no to that um, with how how much we believe in Diego in terms of his his top end as a reliever and how consistent he's been in those roles. And if history holds, you'll probably just go get them at some other point anyway. <laughs> 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 we have seen that from time to time. Just got a couple minutes left here, but you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, your internal uh, Im- improvements can help this club as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I think we're going to get Jake Fraley back next week. Hopefully, if everything goes well on his rehab assignment, uh, we hope Kyle Lewis at the end of the month. Uh, and in between, Chef and Dunn. Um, so, again, that's you, st- you add those four guys to what we already have now. Uh, the whole lineup looks different um, with, with Kalu uh, and Jake and obviously adding Chef and Dunn to what exists in our rotation now and what or what exists in our pen now, depending on what roles. Uh, it gives you a chance to be really deep, uh, you know, roughly two weeks from now. And that, that's going to be a big difference for us. Tell us about Mills. Wyatt will be up today. Uh, we're going to give Wyatt a little bit of an extended run. He's been really good in AAA lately. His stuff's been good. His command's been good. His focus has been good. Um, you know, let's just see if Wyatt can can take the role and run with it a little bit. He does all the things we're looking for, um, and let's see if it just translates from AAA to the big leagues. He hasn't quite crossed that threshold yet, but we think it's in there, and we think it's time for it, uh, for him to take a run. What kind of stuff does he throw? Oh, he's a uh, you know mo- you know he's, he's submariner down down low. Uh, you know we've seen him in spring training a lot. He's low to mid nineties uh, with a good slider. Occasionally he'll ride a four seam up with, uh, against the left hander. Um, obviously, kind of like a. Joe Smith when Joe Smith was 25 instead of Joe Smith today. Uh, but uh, I think it'll be good for him to spend time around Joe, too, having you know uh, done what Joe's done in the big leagues for a long time. And uh, Joe brings a ton to our clubhouse in that way. Draft is done. 
Deadline is over. Yep. I'm going to bed. What do you do tomorrow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. I'm a, no, I'm going to run around with my kids in the park and, and reintroduce myself to them. I told you guys before we got on. It's my son's birthday, so we quickly blew out, blew out the candles before Jerry called last night to talk for more ideas. So, uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to reintroducing myself to them. Uh, uh, very, very excited to watch the Mariners game with them at home instead of tell them who won in the morning. How long had you been in the bunker, so to speak? Um, if you count draft meetings, uh, basically since July 1st. Ooh, so a month. Uh, it's it's a hard, you know, this time in spring training uh, with the sort of revised schedule with the draft being back in July. Right. Uh, I've been pretty hit, hit miss at home for a month. So I'm going to drive into camp uh, on Monday and I'm going to spend some time <laughs> with my wife and maybe take her out to dinner uh, and hopefully watch us go have a great road trip, too. Can, can I make yeah. up a name tag for you? Yes, that would be great. <laughs> Hello, my name is your husband and your dad. <laughs> yeah, all, right. all right. Well, Justin, get out of here. You got yeah, things thanks. to do. Thanks for having me. Guys. High priority. Good to that see you. Appreciate it. General Manager Justin Hollander on our Mariners Clubhouse in. And as you heard last night, Logan Gilbert was on his game once again early. Here comes the pitch. Swing and a miss. He got him. Cracklin by him at 95 as Martin swings through. Strikeout number five already for Logan Gilbert. He is razor sharp in this one. He's retired eight of the first nine he has seen in this one. Logan Gilbert pitched well again last night as the Mariners got the win over the Rangers 9-5, to the final score. We've talked a lot, too, about Logan Gilbert and his elite extension that he gets. And it was great to have the conversation with Devin. And you can follow him on Fangraphs, also on Twitter, at Devin Fink, D-E-V-A-N-F-I-N-K, who kind of puts the conversation in very real terms that's easy to understand. Tell me just uh, broadly about effective velocity. What does that mean? What are we talking about? So effective velocity, it's, it's been around the game for, for uh, forever, for as long as the game's existed, right? Certain pitchers are taller than others. Pitchers have different release points. And the idea is, is pretty simple. You release the pitch closer to home plate, has less distance to travel. It's going to come in faster for hitters in, in their eyes. Um, and so while we tend to measure velocity out of a pitcher's hand, their actual pitch velocity, uh, their effective velocity basically takes their length of stride, their release point and where they're releasing the pitch and says, okay, this is equivalent to this velocity, um, coming in for hitters. Um, so a guy like Logan Gilbert has very high effective velocity and that helps add some extra value on his fastball. Yeah. Give me some specifics on Logan Gilbert. I know Mariner fans will be very interesting in the, uh, in your findings on him specifically. Sure. So, so Gilbert right now, um, I ran this earlier of the, of the pitchers who've thrown at least 10 pitches this year. You don't, you don't need a ton of pitches to, to see this effect. Uh, he has the third highest extension um, in baseball. So this basically at seven and a half feet. So this means that when he releases the pitch, it's seven and a half feet closer to home plate than it is from the rubber. And, and every pitcher has positive extension. You can't release it behind the rubber. Uh, but this is huge because Herman Marquez, for example, who's last among pitchers with actually a decent sample who aren't position players, it's like five and a half feet for him. So effectively, Gilbert is releasing the ball like two feet closer to home plate than Herman Marquez, for example, who, who's, who's last in the league. And so this adds velocity. This helps his pitches play up. Instead of throwing 93, 94, um, which is kind of on the high end for him, he's, he's really throwing like 97. You know, he gets a two-and-a-half-mile-an-hour bump because he's throwing the pitch seven-and-a-half feet closer to home plate than from the rubber. And so it, it comes up on hitters quicker, and it makes it harder to hit. You know, in watching Logan Gilbert pitch, 
visually, this lines up perfectly with what we see. I mean, tall, lanky guy. When you watch him pitch, I mean, he does look like he is on you when he's throwing it. And when he pumps it up to 97, 99, 100 is what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah, no, you get you get an additional, like, for with that extension, it's it's pretty linear, right? Um, and so... You know, just based on how velocity works, you're you're talking 100 miles an hour. If he's if it's if the radar gun says 97 out of his hand, the hitter thinks it's 100. So roughly in that range, two and a half, three miles an hour. Um, and so you know, when he's only you know his average fastball velocities this year, like if it is 95 out of his hand, his effective velocity is actually the fifth highest among all starting pitchers, you know, up there with guys who are throwing it actually 97, you know, he's in the range of Garrett Cole who throws at 97, six, whereas his average fastball velocity is only 95. But if you add in that extra extension, he's throwing basically as hard as Garrett Cole or as hard as Zach or close in the, in the realm of Zach Wheeler and, you know, Nate Evaldi, all those guys who we think is of the hard throwing starting pitchers, he's up there. And it's a lot to do with his extension. What jumped out reading your article on Fangraphs that everyone should check out? The comparison between Marquez, it really puts it in context. I mean, two feet, that is a, that's a big distance when you're talking about the distance from pitcher's mound to home plate. Two feet is a long ways. It really rams at home what we're talking about, I think, visually. Yeah, no, I, the article was about a Phillies reliever, Bailey Falter, who throws softer than Gilbert. So I, I would argue that this is more of his, like, one trick for falter because you know gilbert has the change up great offering he's working on the curveball he's he's a starting pitcher he's got a lot but falter he doesn't throw as hard as, as gilbert so he needs this more than gilbert does it just makes gilbert even better than he already was and he was already a top prospect first round pick all of that got the pedigree um but yeah you know it, when it's only 60 feet six inches you know and you're already getting your stride those additional two feet is huge it's yeah. huge you know, it's, it's Randy Johnson-esque, really. Yeah, right, right. Who Mariner fans are obviously really familiar with. Uh, what was interesting, too, with some of the guys that you listed, there weren't a lot of, I would say, hard throwers in the group that you listed. There were a couple, but for the most part, it's more fastballs in the 91-92 range, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, velocity has been king in baseball recently. So if, if you're a 91-92 guy – it, it kind of clicked in my head that, oh, that makes sense. They have a lot of extension. So the hitter perceives it coming in harder than, than it's actually leaving their hands. So yeah, he has an elite combination, uh, Gilbert, of already throwing 95. And, and then the effective velocity makes it more like 97, 98. Your sense in looking at this, is this just like body type, how you were born? Is this something that you can improve upon? Like, how do you look at this as, I guess, I don't know if you call it a skill set or not. Well, I mean, for one, I'm, I'm not a pitching coach. Mechanics, you know, those aren't those are my, that's not my forte. But, you know, from looking into this a little bit, I think it has to do with a couple, you know, the important things of, of pitching in general, your stride length, your height, right? I mean, taller pitchers can, can step further. They got longer legs, probably on average. That's kind of how proportions work and, uh, and release point. If you release it later in your delivery, I think, you know, Falter, you know, is a good example of that. He releases it very late in his delivery. Um, and, and so he gets the effective velocity there. Whereas Gilbert, he's six, he's listed at six, six. So his step is just so big that it's just coming out so close to home plate. So I think it, it definitely has a lot to do with genetics and, and being tall in general. And then, you know, maximizing that by, you know, 
furthering your stride length and releasing it, you know, late in your motion, I think all has an impact. If you don't mind, can we jump from one Fangraph article to another? Sure, of course. A couple of days ago, by the way, people should follow you on Twitter and check you out on Fangraphs because the stuff is really great. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the sticky stuff. Uh, you were looking at kind of, the, I guess, do we call it modest offensive gains since the crackdown? Yeah, that's kind of how I, I, I framed it. Um, some people may disagree with calling it modest because it is it is uncharacteristic for in season. Uh, but, you know, there was so much discussion over this is going to change baseball. You know, there was an unnamed executive in the Sports Illustrated piece about it saying, you know, we might not need other rule changes because if you enforce this, the game might look completely different. And so I'm going to have to keep tracking this over the course of the season, but I'm calling it modest for that reason. I think the expectations was that the game would look very different than it did before the enforcement. And I had a hard time finding that going through the data, at least so far. And that's the huge caveat. It's tricky. There's so many variables, I think, right now. I mean, offense can go up when the weather gets warmer. This is a weird year with pitching as it is, just given we didn't have much of a season last year. It seems difficult to draw any solid conclusions, I guess, at this point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think there's also adjustment periods. Some people were, you know, telling me, oh, if you use this date, it looks better. I'm like, but you can kind of cherry pick whichever date you want. I, I tried to control for weather effects a little bit by just looking at, you know, how much does offense normally change? And then what's the difference in the change between this year and all prior years? And if it was of a greater magnitude, maybe we could attribute some of that to the sticky stuff, but you're right. We're coming off the 60 game season, you know, the ball changed too. We haven't really, that's kind of been pushed under the rug. And so, you know, it's hard to say. And, and also like there are a, some signs, I can't say this definitively that pitchers are changing what pitches they throw their repertoire after the, the, which could again, make them more effective. We're seeing more sinkers because sinkers do better with lower spins than four seamers. So there's a lot of confounding variables, but if, you know, I think if you were to ask someone, do you think the game looks markedly different than it did before the enforcement? I think the answer is no. And I think the numbers generally bear that out. It looks similar to how baseball did in 2019, not really similar to how baseball did in like 2008. Yeah. Cause the strikeout rate, even after the crackdown is still higher than last year. Right. It's still high. I think it was in the 22% range. Um, I think the full season strikeout rate this year is, is now 23.7%, but that includes pre and post. Um, but you know, yeah, it, the strikeout rate is still high. Um, and you know, we're still not seeing a lot of balls in play and also just like the aesthetic of the game, you know, even if there are more runs, so much of scoring is concentrated in home runs. And, and that's just been, you know, a something that we've seen over the last five years or so. Um, even if we've seen a lot of offense, it's been just really heavily concentrated in, in the long ball. And that's kind of been about it. Do you have thoughts on where the game should go in that direction? Assuming that you want more balls in play and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've done something like, I don't know, I'm, I'm torn. I like the shift because I like the strategy. Um, I, I think moving the mound back is a disaster. I think you would get way more walks, hit batters. I'm not sure that increases balls in play. Um, I think a decent potential fix is enforcing a pitch clock uh, because I think one of the things pitchers have realized is that if you wait longer to throw each pitch, you can use max effort. Um, but I think that's something that would need to be discussed or hopefully discussed with the MLBPA because I know I, my memory serves me correctly. Like Max Scherzer said, that'd be a disaster for injuries uh, because they need time to reset. 
Um, so I think there's just a lot of, you know, ramifications that come out of any sort of one of these changes. You probably would need a dramatic overhaul of a lot of different things. People have even said like change the strike zone or people have even said, you know, you know, move the outfield walls back, you know, like course field is a huge outfield in part because it has to be or else home runs would be crazy. But then you get a lot more balls in play because you still got three guys out there and they're just roaming this huge square footage outfield. So there's a lot of ideas. I think there's pros and cons to both. And I think MLB needs to take a measured approach and, you know, kind of ad hoc changing certain things is, you know, potentially really messing with, you know, things in season. And I'm not sure that's exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, I think the cores walls move back any further. You need four outfielders there. <laughs> probably. Right. I mean, at that point it's, it probably makes, it makes sense um, statistically to, to put a fourth guy back there. If you move him back any further. What are you thinking about uh, next? What are you working on that we should uh, be looking forward to? So, I mean, we've got, we've got the trade deadline coming up. So I think a lot of transaction analysis is in my immediate future, uh, particularly on Friday. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, it's, it's easier during trade season, you know, cause a lot of articles just need to be written. And so, you know, you can kind of come up with those um, on the spot, but, you know, I'm looking, I think one thing that's kind of kept in the back of my head is like, pitch movement and and how wild pitch pitchers are like is is there a certain point like a point of no return where you know too much movement is actually worse in terms of walks and strikeouts which makes sense logically but like where is that point um because i was reading interesting article written by uh another contributor on aaron bummer and someone commented was like he might be a case of just too much movement has movement on everything but walks a ton of guys so th those are things like, I mean, they have to look into and, you know, oftentimes when I start researching an idea, like nothing kind of comes from it. There's, there's no trend. And, and while that's interesting, it's like, you know, you kind of have to move on and, and, and just kind of look for something else, but, you know, I'll keep tabs on, on offense for the rest of the year. It's really hard to write about the, the new ball at this point because so many confounds and even more confounds with the uh, sticky stuff. So, you know, things just kind of come to me and, and we'll, we'll go from there. Devin, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, you can you can find me on Fangrass. I, I publish uh, a couple times a week and at, on Twitter at Devin Fink. It's D E V A N F I N K. You can you can follow me there. I tweet about baseball. I've got a, a midterm coming up this week, so maybe not too too much tweeting between now and Wednesday. But um, on the as we get closer to the deadline, I'll, I'll be active. And so you can tweet at me there, ask me questions about my articles and, and read my stuff on fan graphs.